We thank you, Lord, for being with us today once more. We ask that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would show up and and not just work around the edges, but come down deep inside and tell us what we need to hear. Prepare us for the road ahead. Prepare us for what we need to understand. Help us to hear you, follow you more. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. In June of 1910, two separate expeditions set out with very dangerous goal, to be the first to arrive at the South Pole and to return home. Robert Falcon Scott, a British Royal Navy officer, led one team, and Raoul Odmundson, a Norwegian explorer, would lead the other. On the map, you see that there are two sides to the journey. Scott was the one on the right, and uh, Amundsen was the journey on the left. They took different paths based on history of others who had attempted And um, so we'll learn a little bit about that story as we go forward. Uh, Robert Falcon Scott set out from uh, Cardiff, Wales, aboard the Terra Nova. That was the name of his ship. And they arrived in January 4, 1911, to establish a base at Cape Evans, the edge of Antarctica. There were many preparations to make, and they needed to wait for the right weather to begin the journey. And since the warmest weather in the south is what we think of as late fall and early winter, They would wait nine months to begin their journey to the pole. They would explore some other areas around and they would lay out supplies and make preparations for the trip during those nine months. On November 1, 1911, Scott began the polar crossing from his base at Cape Evans. He planned to cross the ice for the first part of the journey using motor sledges, ponies and dogs. Now, motor sledges were not something he could just buy anywhere. He had helped to kind of create this, invent it. He had found what we now would think of as like tank treads, the forerunner of the snowmobile, and he had put these on machines that would help him travel across the ice. I'm really not sure why he decided ponies were a great idea in the cold, um, but he did, and he used ponies. However, he planned that when he arrived at the place where the elevation would rise up onto the polar plateau, he decided not to use any of those uh, support systems, that he would rely on his team, only men, to carry all the supplies the rest of the way to the South Pole. And um, meanwhile, Raoul Odmundsen took a completely different approach. Raoul Odmundsen had hoped to go to the North Pole And only a few years earlier, someone else beat him to it. And so he changed his plans to go to the South Pole. He didn't want others to know that that was his goal. He didn't want Scott to know that he was coming. And so he left uh, the the port. And when he, he left the port, he went out on his sailing ship. He called his ship the Fram. And they made out into the ocean thinking people, he was going north until he got away from the port, away from everybody being able to see and he turned south towards the South Pole. Nearly six months later, by ship, the expedition arrived at the eastern edge of the Ross Ice Shelf, where they set up base camp that he called Framheim. Amundsen avoided the heavy wool clothing that Scott's team chose to use. You can imagine wool in the cold in the winter seems good, but when it gets wet, it's a real problem. So he avoided that, decided to use Inuit-style furred skins. They wore wolf skins and reindeer skins. 
Using skis and dog sleds for transportation, Amundsen and his crew created supply depots at 80, 81, and 82 degrees south of the barrier, along a line directly south of the pole. And he would decide that instead of giving up on the help to transportation once he reached the higher elevation, he would use his dogs and his sleds all the way to the South Pole. Rough land, cold place. Amundsen departed his base camp on October 19, about two weeks before Scott left his, taking four sledges and 52 dogs. And even though Falcon Scott was most certainly hot on their trail, Amundsen and his team beat the Scott team to the South Pole, arriving on December 14, 1911. They left a small tent, uh, not for living in, but just a tent that they could uh, leave a note in case they never returned to their base at Framheim. It was very risky. And that they could uh, state their accomplishment and make sure that people know when they had arrived. Scott, the other team, and four of his comrades reached the pole on January 17, only to find with great disappointment that they had been beat by a full 33 days. Unfortunately, because some of his team did not follow his orders to meet him with supplies on the return journey and other mishaps that had taken place along the way, they all perished by March 29, never arriving back to their base. Why did one team succeed and the other fail? Amundsen's expedition benefited a lot from his careful preparation, his good equipment, his appropriate clothing, a simple primary task not being diverted by other things on the side, an understanding of his dogs and how to handle them, and his effective use of skis. His plan worked better. And in contrast to the misfortunes of the Scott team, Amundsen's trek proved relatively smooth and uneventful. So what do we learn from these two brave men and their very different stories? How we set personal goals and lay out plans for our lives today will have a long-term effect in our future. Have you thought about the road that you are on and where it will lead you? Is this church family and its support in your life an important part of your plan? We'd like to think that who we are as a church family will affect who you are and who you will become as we share this journey together. So where are we going? And what is the most important to us as we make this journey together? What will hold us together and give purpose to everything that we do? Over the next seven to eight weeks, we'll be talking about our mission, our vision, and our values as a congregation. Next week, Pastor Julie will be here, and she will be talking about our passion for God, passion for people, passion for service. The following week, Pastor Jeff will be back, and he will begin a series on our shared values, the things that matter most to us as a church family. So today, I begin with our mission, the phrase that defines who we are and why we exist. Do you know what it is? Do you all know? What our mission phrase is? Any, anybody? Okay, we have work to do. Take your program, your bulletin, 
and look on the front. It's there every week. And maybe you just thought these were just nice words. They sound good. Let's put them on the front of the bulletin. But these are words that have meaning to us, or they should, and I hope that you will remember them so that next time when probably Jeff asks you, you'll be able to tell him what it is. Those words, live the gospel, should be important to us and define who we are. So what does it mean? It has to us, it has to be more than just a slogan, just nice words that we can put on the bulletin. It has to be more. For us to say that our common mission is defined and best expressed by these three words, live the gospel, for this to represent who we are and why we exist, these words have to be descriptive of our highest priorities. So let's begin with asking what we could possibly mean as members of this church family to live the gospel. Well, first the key word gospel. It is the central belief and expression of faith in Christ to say that I have believed and accept the gospel. Paul is dealing with a group of of believers in Corinth and he writes to them to remind them of what the gospel is about because it's easy for us to forget. And so I like to use the little summary that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 15. This is, by the way, a chapter that is often thought of as the chapter about the resurrection of Jesus, where he makes an argument for the importance of the resurrection. But before he gets to that argument, he reminds us of where we started, the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. So here's what he says to remind us of the gospel. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news, the gospel that I preached to you before. For you welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. I hope that's what we think, too. For it is the gospel, the good news, that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, Just as the scripture said, just as the Old Testament authors had predicted, Jesus died for our sins. And he was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And he was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then he was seen by James and later all the apostles. And last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. So what is Paul trying to tell us here? He's trying to tell us that this is more than just a good story. And Jesus is more than just a good man. The story is told of a Jesus who was the promised Messiah. The one who came, who lived who died, but he's not just telling us about a theme or a theology. He's telling us about an experience. He's telling us that these people, they were the ones that ate with Jesus. They were the ones that walked with Jesus. These were the ones who lived with Jesus and knew that he was real. He was not just some fairy tale. And the proof is in that these are the people who also saw him die upon the cross. And after he was laid in the grave and he came back out of the grave, they saw him again. Now, who else can claim that? 
So when they saw him, more than 500 people saw him with their own eyes and have personal testimony. They can tell you, some of them still alive, he says. So they can tell you, we saw Jesus and we walked with him again and we ate with him again. He is real to us and there is no one else like him. So the question is, who is he to us? Is this what you believe and profess, that Jesus died, buried, raised again, and lives even now for us? Is that your profession? It's important that we understand who he really is because so many people want to tell us that Jesus is a good man or Jesus is someone who has good teachings, but he has to be more than that to us. As, as one prominent pastor said, if it comes down to it, I want to follow the one that came out of the grave because I'm taking my, my chances with him. The one that came out of the grave because that could come in handy someday. So who else will you follow? Who else will you believe in? There is only one who has this power. There is only one who had witnesses, over 500 witnesses, see that he had come back alive after being killed and crucified and buried. And as I've heard Pastor Jeff say so many times from this pulpit, the testimony that was given by Peter in Matthew 16 is the core confession of who we are as believers. In Matthew 16, verse 15, when Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say I am? And he says to Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And later, upon this rock, Jesus says, upon this confession, upon this truth about who I am and what I will become, I build my church. So the gospel is all in Jesus. The gospel is in who he was and what he did and what he still does for us. The gospel is about Jesus. And since Jesus has announced that this confession of the gospel, accepting Jesus for who he is as the Messiah, the Christ, we've just spent a whole season talking about the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, along with what Paul tells us as we just read, I passed on to you what was most important. And it is this good news, this gospel that saves you. Have you accepted that gospel? If you believed it as more than something theologically correct or intellectually stimulating, if you accepted that truth deep in your heart that it would change who you are, make a difference to everything that you live for? Because what does it mean to not only believe the gospel but to live the gospel? Well, one of the reasons it's difficult to answer this question about what it means to live the gospel it makes it not obvious to us to answer is because many who profess to believe the gospel who say they are Christians in our world today do not seem to live lives that are any different from those who never claim to follow Jesus for there are many good people who never followed Jesus there are many generous people many kind people many people who never believed in Jesus who never followed him who get along just fine in this world so what's the difference between them and us? Those of us who believe that Jesus really is who he says he is, those of us that believe that Jesus really lived, 
really died, really raised again in the testimony of so many witnesses. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What choice to accept love and grace and forgiveness that has to be life-changing? When you understand the gift that Jesus gives you, you who once had no hope have hope. You who once were unforgiven are now forgiven. Who once were outside the family of God are now family. You cannot be the same. You live in hope, live in grace, you live in love. So how can you not live the gospel for everyone that you meet? The Apostle Paul tries to help us understand what it looks like to live as a Christian. He talks about it in several different places, but I'd like to, today to focus on Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and following. He here tells us a description of how he sees Christians being different. And when you first read this, it may be a little difficult to think if it's really that different, but I want you to think about it as you read what this really requires of you to become this kind of believer. He says this, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in, conf in our confident hope, be patient in trouble and keep on praying. And when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. But do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. So I hope you can see that when you think about these areas, these are not just some thing you put on the outside. This is just, not just some uh, preparation for the day and you go out and you act this way. What he's really wanting you to hear is more than just behavior change. What he would like you to understand about what he's describing here, this behavior that Paul describes, it doesn't come from putting it on. It comes from character change. It comes from a change of heart. Where you don't just pretend to love others, but that you really love others. And the only way to do that is for Jesus to change your heart. Because without that change, we are all too dark. We are all too full of ourselves and centered on ourselves, and we all tend to slide that way when we're not with Jesus. And Paul wants us to know that this is the reflection, this is the result of spending time with Jesus. Spending time with him, learning from him. You see, it's difficult to become more like Jesus without being with him. Letting his light enter into every part of our lives makes us able to reflect his lightness rather than our own darkness. And in Romans 13, a little later, next chapter, he reminds us how important this really is. 
In Romans 13, 11 and 12, he says, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Now, that's a little different version, but it's there. Remove that old life and put on the new life. And this paragraph, by the way, is not telling us to be better so God will love you. That's not what it's trying to tell us. It's, don't, it's not saying act nice and be, be good and force yourself into it so God will somehow love you. It can't be saying that because Paul is clear, God already loves you. He already died for you. Before you even knew of him, he died for you. What this paragraph is saying is live your life in such a way that other people can see what Jesus has done inside your heart. And if it hasn't happened yet, it's just a matter of surrender to him and spend time with him, and he will change your heart. He's not about changing your behavior. It's about changing your character, who you are, who you will be. Will your choices in 2020 reflect your heart for Jesus? Are the plans that you are making for 2020 in harmony with the true purpose of your life in Christ? It's interesting, when Roald Amundsen was a small child living in Norway, he already began to live his life for his dream. Now, he had to wait a pretty long time because when he was a child, his mother made him promise to not become a maritime sailor. All his family were. His father, his grandfather, his, aunt, his, his uncles, they were all maritime people, all going to sea. His mother loved him so much she didn't want that for him, so she made him promise to be a doctor. And he kept his promise until he was 27 years old and his mother died of disease. Then he said, now I can be a sailor. But way before that, when he was a child, he had in his heart to sail to the polar regions. And what he did in preparation was that every night in a Norwegian winter, he would open his windows and sleep in the cold. And he did it purposefully because one day he wanted to have his body conditioned to handle the cold because he knew in his heart that someday he was going to go to the pole. And maybe he could be the first. What are you choosing today so you can live with Jesus tomorrow? When you stand in the kingdom of God beside Jesus, and hopefully all of us will be there, and we stand beside Jesus and we review our lives and we look back and we see all the times he carried us. We see the times that were difficult and challenging and he reminds us of how he was there for us. He reminds us of how he had grace for us in all of our ugly times. He reminds us of the decisions we made and the choices along the way that helped us to learn to follow him. And we stand there with him on the shore of eternity and we look back at the year 2020, what will you see in your life that will make you smile? What will you see in your life that will make Jesus smile? What will you see about your life of worship, public and private, 
that you will know helped you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus? What will you choose to be to your family that will bring you closer to them and them closer to Jesus? What experience of togetherness did you prioritize in this community of faith that strengthened your walk with Jesus? What meaningful service will you have chosen to demonstrate love for others so that they will know who Jesus is? And what are the many ways that your words and your life became a testimony for others around you to discover Jesus, that he is real, that he is worthy of our attention, and that he will change their lives. Because when you really believe the gospel, you must live the gospel. So I invite you today to begin again, to live that life that will honor Jesus above all things. And I'd like to invite you to stand with me as an indication of that decision, whether it is a new decision for you today or a renewed decision that you're trying to be faithful to in your life, to live with this community on a mission to live the gospel. We will do it imperfectly, but together we can become more faithful. Together we can find a way to support one another. So at home, at work, at school, hospital, or church, and wherever you may go, to live on purpose as a reflection of the gospel. By God's grace, may we all live this gospel. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we are not capable. We are not worthy. For you know us for who we really are, imperfect, distracted, often selfish, but you would change us. You would be to us what no one else can be, a Savior, a Lord, our God and our friend. And in knowing you, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit and the knowledge that we gain, the experience and the relationship we have with you, that we would be changed from the inside out. That when we show love to a friend or to someone we've never met, it wouldn't be because somebody told us we should be kind, because you've made us kind. Lord, when we show forgiveness and when we have patience, it would come because you've made us that way. So, Lord, we just ask that you would teach us the gospel as you truly understand it to be, not just as a theory, not just as a nice idea, not just that Jesus is a nice person with good ideas, but that, Lord, you would change us, transform us, and go deep within our hearts so that whatever is comes from the inside to the outside. Give us the grace to live the gospel. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.